Alright, hey everybody, welcome back Damn. to uh, the movie side of the tracks, Slasher Edition. This is Act 2, which I'm titling, subtitling, Copycats and Supernatural. This is the era of the slasher uh, <laughs> decade, the slasher genre, where everything was pretty much a copycat of Halloween. And then also, supernatural elements were being introduced yes. into the slasher genre. That's where I come in. The 80s is so chock full of this stuff that there's really no reason to dwell on the 90s. Because a, a majority of this stuff actually bleeds into the 90s. Yeah. And it predom- just dominates the 90s as well. Uh, so when I say slasher 80s, what do you think of, Jeff? The the two uh, the biggest franchises clearly Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, uh, Freddy and Jason, right, are the two slashers of the eighties for sure. Because uh, even Mike Myers, he didn't come back until like ninety with the. Well, uh, he showed up in nineteen eighty one. Uh, no, I mean after the second one. So yeah, but it, for the bulk of the eighties, he was. He came MIA. back in nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. Maybe a so little bit he, earlier than that. He bookended. Yeah. I'll look it up. And you'll still figure out John Carpenter did drugs. So what about, uh, what do you say about this? Freddy versus Jason versus Michael. Is that a thing that's possibly happening? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it would not happen. But in your opinion, Aaron, where do you um, fall? Like who? You know, I think, because as far as I remember, Freddy was really only powerful in your dreams, right? Yep, that's true. And we don't really know how much Jason or Michael slept. 88. So I think it comes down to those two, and I'd probably go with Jason. He's been in space, and I think that, I think that experience would serve him well. <laughs> yeah, J- Jason has, has traversed centuries, right? He's, yeah. he, he's, he's survived centuries. Yeah. Because in Jason X, he he went into cryo sleep and then woke up like two hundred years later, right? It's such a fucking <laughs> fucking terrible movie. <laughs> it seems more physically capable. Like Mike Myers, obviously he you know he cuts an imposing figure, but Jason is just beefy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, zombie Jason definitely. Yeah, is. Jason is Myers on roids. Clearly, I mean they both have the unstoppable, seem to be unkillable, but you know, it's I mean Jason's just got the. Uh, the, I guess the the weight advantage. Yeah, Michael, Myers is out of his weight class. So yeah, so I don't remember the movie, but who won in that? The Jason vs. Freddy. What happened? It, well, it's kind of like a tie. Well, technically, uh, technically Jason, Jason won because Jason's walking off, uh, you know, out of frame with the uh, with Freddy's head in his hand. But, but then Freddy's head winks at the camera. But we don't see what happens. That might have been the last thing Freddy's head did before, you know. Before the before Jason Voorhees. Before the brain stopped getting. Yeah, before the brain stopped getting oxygen yeah, and it just shut down. Yeah, it's, a, it's just an electrical twitch. Yeah, like, yeah okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Freddy vs. Jason had its virtues. Yo, no, I recently rewatched Freddy vs. Jason. And I like that movie a lot. You know, here's the thing that they that last they delivered they delivered badass. what they promised, which is Freddy vs. <laughs> Jason. Like three times, mm-hmm. yeah. Like he's looking something like Jason goes to Manhattan. Bullshit. Like you know, it's Jason on a boat. Jason goes to hell. I mean, it barely has Jason in it. So it's like you know, Freddy versus Jason is, is that we get Freddy versus Jason, 
and they, you know, they fight on Freddy, Freddy's domain, Jason's domain, then they have the one big, uh, the... Yeah, and the thing in Jason X, he doesn't, I mean, at any point does he get outside in space? I can't remember. <laughs> well, he has, like, the hologram where he thinks he's back at the camp. Yeah, but that's, that's not Jason goes to space. That's just Jason in the future. I don't know. <laughs> there should have been a sequence where Jason is, like, uh, outside the spaceship walking on Oh, it. no. There's nothing like that. <laughs> Starts smashing it, through the it's hole. A, it's another lost opportunity <laughs> of a fucking movie. <laughs> so speaking of Jason, we're going to go to 1980 and talk about the very first Friday the 13th, okay. which, if you didn't know, doesn't even have Jason in it. Except for what may have been one of the greatest. a dream sequence ending, because technically that he didn't show up until the second film. Uh, Aaron, have you seen the original Friday the Thirteenth? I have, yeah. So you um, know it's, it's Jason's mom. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in fact, I don't even. I think they just allude to it at the end, right? Like, don't they mention that uh, they never found his body? Right mm-hmm. when uh, mm-hmm. he drowned. As yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's pretty interesting that this franchise was launched, and the the the, the main character, uh, you know, doesn't even make an appearance really. Right, it's almost like the um, it's almost like a commentary on Psycho, where the movie Psycho, you know, it's about the son protecting the mom, only to, for it to turn out that the son is just acting as the uh, as his mom who's dead. And in this one, it's the reverse. Jason isn't alive; it's his. His mother, who's getting revenge for his supposed death. Mm. Yeah, and one thing that stood out to me was, I'm sure other movies have done this, but I distinctly remember when I was watching this, um, sort of, was this one where Jason, like you, you're you through his eyes a lot of the time? Like, aren't you stalking Jason kids? POV? Yeah, there's, yeah. Some, there's some of that. Or it's more Pamela Voorhees POV. Yeah. But I remember distinctly, like, this was one of the first movies I saw where as far as you're in the, the eyes of the killer and you're sort of stalking, you know, that, that POV, like you said. So I, I always find that interesting. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that Halloween did that. The very first moment the in the movie scene, yeah, is you're, you're seeing through the eyes of, of baby Michael Myers. Halloween did sister. it. <laughs> yes. So. But that's what, that's what Friday the 13th is. It's a copycat yeah. of... Of Halloween, of Michael Myers. Yeah, right insane. down to picking a specific day um, as the title of the of the movie, you know? You know they probably sat down like, what's the what's scariest Halloween? Valentine's Day? No. <laughs> they made that movie. That's <laughs> fucking terrible. And someone said, you know what's scariest? Friday the 13th. And boom, there you go. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Wow. And this is also where the... The, the whole final girl trope really comes into fruition. Um, and what a lot of folks um, also take note of is um, that uh, it's also the beginning of what, for them, they perceive as horror movies having a very mean and misogynistic streak when it comes to um, their female characters. Fair. Yeah. Uh, Siskel and Ebert said that uh, at the time, and this was after the Friday the 13th movies came out and other copycat movies came out, that 
they thought it was a reaction to the women's movement of the 70s. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I think they they used to call them dead teenager movies. That was not slashers so much. Yeah, it fits. Yeah. Um, Anytime a, a female character in, in one of these movies spoke up or had ideas or um, <laughs> sort of like, uh, you know, sh- showed off being strong, um, they would get killed. Killer. Unless Killer. you were the, the virgin. Yes. The good girl. But people seem to forget the the survivor of the first one is the first one to go in the second one immediately. That's how that works, right? The the final girl, the previous movie, always goes out in the in the sequel. Yeah, yeah, usually how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Damn. I guess that worked in the other the other series of films. Nightmare on Elm Street, right? That's right. So. All right. So hey, Friday Thirteenth, very successful. Yeah, yeah. If not necessarily good. <laughs> what, do, what, do you, what do you think, Aaron, about the whole idea of uh, uh, misogyny um, and uh, sort of like this, the weird um, moralistic bent that slasher movies took after Friday the 13th? Yeah, it's... You know, I think that they would say they did it sort of tongue-in-cheek, um, with a you know a wink and a and an elbow nudge, but Friday the Thirteenth, I didn't really get that wink, and maybe it's just because I was younger when I when I saw it. But um, it's obvious. I mean, it's pretty apparent, mm-hmm. and it, and I don't really know. I, I guess that response or that that answer about it being a response to the women's movement is as good as answer as any that I thought of. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's so apparent. There's got to be a reason for it. Like it, I mean, it just they, couldn't happen. There's there's a sub, there could be a subconscious thing like these uh, ladies are uh, getting out of place we need to put them back in their place type of thing, um, and not realizing that's what they're what they're doing. Sean Cunningham, the producer and director of the original Friday Thirteenth, actually started as a soft porn director. Oh, well, there you go. Softcore porn, yeah. So, where's softcore porn in the? Okay, I guess in the '70s, yeah, yeah um, and then he saw an opportunity with uh, movies like Halloween, and so he decided to um, pretty much um, escalate everything—the the sex and the violence. So that's why the Friday Thirteenth movies have more boobs, and why the Friday Thirteenth movies have way more blood. Hmm. But speaking, since we're talking about Friday the 13th, might as well listen to the iconic score, the opening theme. Friday the 13th mm-hmm. by Henry Manfredini. Oh, I thought I go Mancini. I was like, I did not know that. <laughs> Henry Man- Manfredini uh, did the score. Um, what's funny is that that Kiki part. Yeah, you love you love informing people. Yeah, about this. it's actually Kiki. It's actually Kiki Mama K 
K-I-K-I-M-A-M-A. And it's actually the voice of Jason Jason telling his mother to kill people. Kill, mama. Kill, mama. It's Kiki Kaka. <laughs> Kiki Kaka. Kiki Kaka. There's a bit, all kinds of different like like versions of it. I've heard people like go just... All kinds of weird stuff. But Still, yeah. Kiki Mama. Kiki, Kiki Mama. The baby gibberish is this? Because it, it is a baby. No, it's a, he's, a, he's, a young, he's a young. What's that? Is that where Drake got his song from? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a it's a big old nod to to Friday the Thirteenth, baby. <clears throat> Drake's a musical genius. Yeah, he's he's something, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, Clearly, Psycho has a bit of an influence on this. this right. Score. I feel like it's almost an amalgamation of the Psycho theme and Halloween. It's got the ominous parts, but then it like goes into the Psycho uh, knife stabbing stuff. Whereas I think the next score we're going to focus on, I feel that's more Halloween influenced. Mm. Um, so, but this feels more Psycho. Definitely with the... The 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 strong uh, strings up in this. You got your you got your cellos working over time. It's uh, and the kiki kaka. That's what that's what really stands out. It's what you remember most. What how however way you interpret it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because musically, right? Like if you took out kiki kaka, you would, <laughs> there's no there's no like for me. There's no distinguishing melody. Then yeah. I can pick up and be like, oh yeah, that's clearly Friday the 13th. But you throw that Kiki Kaka into any <laughs> song and instantly you recognize it. <laughs> the Kiki Mama definitely makes uh, makes the song. Uh, you're you're definitely right about that. That's I don't disagree. Fine. <laughs> so which era of Jason do you guys like the best? Oh God. Um, one one through four? <laughs> I mean, because every, I mean, all right. You know what? I'll go as far as one to one through six. Those are all actually. Me personally, I'm all about the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Four, which, five, and six. Four, five, six, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad. Uh, I, I'm not the only one who appreciates the new beginning. <laughs> People always shit on that one. But. I like it because they they tried something different with it, and they obviously regretted it. And immediately uh, reverse course um, with number six, with Jason Lives. I think the first one I ever saw was New Beginning. And all I remember is the kid that hits Jason with the bulldozer. <laughs> Made me so happy. Because I figured, I can do that. <laughs> so that's that's me. Um, yeah. I, after six, they're basically unwatchable until Freddy versus Jason, honestly. I can't. And Jason you, versus Carrie. Had such promise. Jason goes to Manhattan. This has such promise. And it's Jason go. takes Manhattan. Does he though? <laughs> he barely he barely goes there. But when he does, he's got that memorable moment where he kicks the punk's boombox. Which you can see in the trailer, so why even bother watching the fucking movie? <laughs> but I think it's, it's great that Jason oh, even Jason hates punk music. He's like, fuck. And he was actually being... He actually just takes off his mask. He was actually being passive. It's like, I could kill you guys, but here, look at my ugly ass face. Oh, run away. Yeah. yeah. 
No, that should have been Jason literally taking Manhattan, and I just I like a body count. Like, but don't you get that at the beginning of Jason Goes to Hell, where the like an entire SWAT team comes? I don't after? know what the fuck's going on. In Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> it's like his. I don't even know what's going on. His like skin is all puffy, and his head's like a Jiffy Pop bag about to explode. <laughs> and then it just turns into weird slugs that go up your butt. Did they go up the butt? No, I'm thinking really, of Dreamcatcher. Goes down the throat. What about you, Aaron? Which which era of Jason do you do you like the best? You know, I was never actually even a fan of of the whole legacy. So probably the only ones I've seen. Uh, I think I've seen. What did we watch? Uh, one of the Halloweens was it? Uh, it's one where they dig up his body. Well, they probably dig it oh, up. Oh, you you watched the Tommy Jarvis trilogy? Yes. So the, the one with uh, Corey Feldman stabbing yes. those two other nobodies. Yeah, Corey Feldman stabbing the fuck out of Jason at the end. Die. Yeah, and then yeah, uh, kind of switched it, right? Like, wasn't did he become Jason or something? Right. That was the that was the conceit in the in uh, New Beginning that somebody was copycatting. Jason, and at the end of the movie, the twist is that Tommy Jarvis was going to be the next Jason, but then they completely ignored that uh, for uh, Jason Lives, yeah. and uh-huh. that's where zombie Jason comes into existence. Yeah. So I like the first one was good. I didn't. I actually enjoyed, you know, that one uh, watching it, but I, I, I'm look, I was not looking at it with a critical eye, right? It's just yeah. having fun. So yeah, I. I uh, mean, what was that? Six, you said. That was number seven. Uh, you're talking about the the one they dig him up. That's six. Yeah. That's that's six. Yeah. That's uh, that's uh, Jason lives. This is the second ones. If I you know once again put a gun to my head, um, you talking about potato bat potato I, sack Jason? I'm all about potato sack Jason. <laughs> Honestly, that that hands down of the Friday the Thirteenth series has the best chase scene. Period. Uh, when it's down to the to and then the whole reveal that uh, there's a there's Mama Mama Voorhees' corpse and she puts on the sweater she actually thinks it out like here's how I'm gonna get past this fucker. It's uh, what's it's funny just... is that the video game uh, utilizes that to great effect because the only the, way the, the NES game no the new game that's available on the PlayStation oh. um, the only way to kill Jason in that game is a sort of a confluence of things. A character has to find Pamela Voorhees' sweater and put it on. And when Jason gets stopped in his tracks, Tommy Jarvis has to be in the game and he has to attack Jason with an axe. Very, an axe that you find at Jason's sack, uh, shack. And if you can manage to get all those things together at once, you can actually kill Jason in the game, which is... Until the sequel. Until the sequel, sure. Yes. Yeah. We got really close. We got really close, but we had dumb t- Tommy Jarvis. I don't have to tell you, man. Yeah. I like Sheldon. He's my man. Isn't he the curly-haired one, right? Yeah, he's in the game, too. He's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Jason doesn't get a hockey mask without Sheldon fuckers. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing. Jason doesn't get his hockey mask until the third movie. 3D, baby. <clears throat> really? Why is that? Well, Jason has a potato sack... For uh, for covering his face in the second one, and in the third one he comes back and he just sort of like stumbles around to find something to cover up his ugly face, and he just f- happens to find a hockey mask, and that became the iconic face of Jason going forward. Yeah, took three movies. Yeah. All right. So while we're still talking about Friday the Thirteenth, let's listen to a, a piece of music that. Uh, you, you know, 
Alice hot. Cooper's He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask? Oh, man. You guessed it, bro. <gasps> So is this in your 80s tournament? It doesn't have its own Wikipedia page. There's no way this doesn't have its own Wikipedia page. Are you are you daft? This song does not have its own Wikipedia page. There's no way. I'm gonna look it up right now. But that was very 80s. Oh, it's exceptionally so. Yeah, and it's 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 very much like people were anticipating the return of Jason. They were like, we want the real Jason. After the whole new beginning thing with the fake out oh, Jason. Oh shit, no, you're right. Those have its own Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be in your list, bro. That's too late, man. Oh. <laughs> his follow-up to this was Teenage Frankenstein. And prior to this, his song was I Love America. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Really? I, I'm assuming it was an ironic song. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so people obviously really wanted uh, The Return of Jason. They even made a, a song about it. It's sort of like with uh, The Return of Michael Myers after the uh, Halloween 3 season of The Witch debacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you like the song better than the, that, the movie that it's dedicated to, Jason Lives. Jason, Jason, no, Jason Lives is one of the stronger entries. Uh, the song only enriches it. Um, I would say it's probably number three on my list of favorites, because I it four used to be the 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 standard final chapter, but I've swapped that with two now four is the second and now six would be my third favorite. Yeah, for me it's six five six four five. Yeah, five. I think five gets a bad rap. I think the third one gets a bad rap. I think the Larry potato one is, sack Jason got the, go. potato sack Jason's where it's at. <laughs> Fuck off, Aaron. You gotta watch Friday Thirteenth Part Two and get back to us on that one. So what about that song that makes you love it so much? I think it's, it's so eighties. I think it's Alice Cooper. It's just he's uh, what he uh, represents. He's he's a showman, a, a ghoul, if you will, mm. and uh, he brings a certain energy. And when he says he's back, he means it. You know, he's, he's not, not fucking around. Say, he's back, psych, it's somebody else, not behind the mask. No, it's, he's Alice Cooper. When Alice Cooper tells you that Jason's back, you believe him. And I believed him. And Alice Cooper, and then he came a couple years, he hit us with that his trash album, which had Poison, which is a great song, and it's completely uh, overlooked in the annals of great hair rock um, music. And this song was kind of like, hey, here I am, I'm back. I'm Alice Cooper. I don't wear a mask, but it's, uh, it's good stuff. And I did, and they play. Don't they do kind of like um, a montagey thing at the end credits mm-hmm. with uh, this song? Yeah, because they kind of did a similar thing with Freddy with the final. The, Speaking of Freddy, uh, okay, segue. Segue. So now we enter into the era of slasher movies taking on a supernatural slant. Woo-hoo. So you know you, you had Friday the Thirteenth that did Gangbusters. And so, what was the next evolution? You had the body count, you had the boobs. Now, you need to have some some crazy nightmare stuff. Literally. Nightmare on Elm Street by Wes Craven uh, from 1984. One of the greats. Yeah. Aaron, 
do you do? You, what do you remember uh, when you first saw Nightmare on, on Elm Street? Uh, terror. <laughs> I saw this one fairly young, and I think looking back, it did some things right. I love movies where there's sort of rules, you know, and, and you have to kind of play a game against the bad guy. With guys like Jason or Mike Myers, they just follow you, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty standard. But with Freddy, you, you actually have a chance if you can do X, Y, Z. And then the fact that it's in your dreams really lets the movie go to these wacky, zany places mm-hmm. that other movies that are, you know, not based in reality, but sort of have these physical laws they have to obey. Yeah, you can get a little more creative with your kills. Way more creative. And I don't remember Jason ever making some funny little quip right after he stabbed mm-hmm. somebody. Mm-hmm. And Freddie was just... No, so Jason hard. has no personality whatsoever. He just says, exactly. kiki kaka. <laughs> <laughs> So Freddy, yeah, uh, Freddy without a doubt, is the most charming of the movie monsters. He didn't start out charming, though. He, he kind of, uh, one would say he uh, was brought down to, for his audience, uh, so to speak. Welcome, uh, welcome to prime time, bitch. That's great. Bon appetit. Bitch. Uh, not, not, not as good. Uh, I, the first time I remember watching... What, what, what did you say, Aaron? What was his crime originally? Like, because he was a, Kitty was he rapist. A well, so so the whole the whole pedophile thing, I think that came later. Wes Craven himself has said that he never intended him to be necessarily a uh, a child rapist, but a child murderer for sure. Um, but the whole child rapist thing kind of it evolved into that from other writers. Yeah. So. His story is all over the place. Yeah, he he is the um, uh, son of a thousand yeah. maniacs, so that's fun. Uh, first time I ever saw this, uh, greatest babysitter ever. I was it was nineteen. It had to be eighty five because it was on VHS at that point. She rented it, and I was probably all of in third grade at the time, mm-hmm. and fucked me. Up. No, yeah, yeah. The the the, uh, the first big initial uh, kill scene with Tina. Um, that whole scene, so many levels of that scene just fucked me up. When he was cutting, cutting off his fingers, when his face got pulled off, when he's like slashing her to death as she's flowing in the freaking the walls. That stuff scarred me in a wonderful way. That I was like, I gotta see more. Uh, yeah, this one, this one gave me literal nightmares. I. I I would wake up screaming. This is God. <laughs> so so it, this like the the stereotypical cliche thing of like nightmares you see in TV or whatever. I was actually that was my reaction to it. I would wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning, you know, thrashing and screaming. And my brother would have to wake me up and say, "You're screaming in your sleep." And I was like, Freddie was gonna get me." <laughs> I remember grabbing my little brother and saying, "Thank you." Freddie was gonna get me. <laughs> I, I had a pretty that's vivid. <laughs> Aaron's like, that's sad. You know, what does it say about me? Because I had a very vivid dream where I was working with Freddie and I had my my own glove and we were slashing up people going down water slides. As they would come down and Were you his crony? I was just, I, I think I was his crony out of fear. <laughs> But I was working with him to slash the fuck out of people going down water slides. Were you, were you crying every time you were slashing? No, I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the 
but I just remember that like he. I so think, you enjoyed it. I I you relished it. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like water slides? So but, why why do you think it was sad, Aaron? That I had like vivid nightmares. You know, I just think of poor, poor little young pre atheist Rob. <laughs> 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 yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, this is shoot. This is same year's RoboCop, right? Was that the same year's RoboCop eighty four? No, 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 RoboCop, RoboCop 87, eighty seven. The second, 87. the second greatest okay, year of movies. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just think uh, you know, poor like I said, poor prepubescent Rob, just <laughs> just wailing over. Over a movie, so that's a sad. That's a sad sight. Yeah, the, the the two images that stick to my mind stick in my mind is uh, Jay, uh, Freddy with his arms, long arms are stretched. Oh, that's fucked me up too. Um, and then the class, the the school sequence where she realizes that one of her classmates actually might be Freddy. Mm-hmm. There's something just so disturbing about that moment. You're walking that, in the halls. That, you know, you're not safe anywhere and that what you think might be real is actually not and you, you wouldn't even know it because it's so lucid. I will say, I, and it is one of my favorite horror films, but I've watched it uh, last year, around this time actually, and the whole like Home Alone ending <laughs> is, it is a bit silly. Because um, the whole rule of pulling, you can pull them out of your dreams, which doesn't work, by the way. I've tried it. <laughs> <laughs> But then she set up all the booby traps. Mm. Uh, it it it's kind of silly. Yeah, it's it's a little comical. It's a little comical. It, it is. It's like oh, Freddy, he fell for that one too. But I think it defies kind of the the genre conventions in that uh, it's not it's not just about uh, you know running away from from the killer, it's confronting, but him. actually confronting the killer and beating them at, at their own game. Yeah. So. It is my it's my favorite uh, horrors I've seen I've seen them all and even the ones that are bad. Well, I, he, I have here's a uh, here's for. what they call the uh, prologue main title. All right, let's hear it. I know I know this one. There's nothing better than 80s synth horror music, man. I don't know. I could think, I think the I could synth, think of like 200. I, I think the synth is the perfect vehicle, the perfect tool to um, actualize the sound of spookiness. It's simply, it is, it is undeniably effective. Yeah. So that piece of music by Charles Bernstein, hmm. obviously Halloween-inspired. Yes. That opening little sure. uh, note, um, it o- almost sounds exactly like a slowed down version of the opening notes of Halloween. Mm-hmm. What I found about it is that it's not entirely spooky. It's spooky, but it's not entirely spooky. There's almost a playful, whimsical nature to it. Just like Freddy. Yeah, I guess just like Freddy, yeah. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is For horror... It wasn't quite as menacing as Halloween. I didn't know if I was worried about Freddy or like 
exploring the world of Tron. You know, I mean, they both kind of <laughs> the same feel. Um, but it is so 80s. It is just so undeniably 80s. And that, to me, that's half the charm. There's a track in there called Dream Attack. And it literally sounds 8-bit. Like, I was... <laughs> Nintendo <time>. game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. So, um, as, a, as a piece of period music, it's, it's great. I don't know if technically um, it holds up to some of the other music. And I, to be honest, if we played this for 100 people, I don't know how many of them would get that this is from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but it's, I think if they've seen Nightmare on Elm Street a couple times, I think they would get it. Especially the, couple, exactly. the initial notes. Um, but if you play it for someone who never saw Nightmare on Elm Street, they probably wouldn't know. Well, what's exactly. funny is um, I hadn't seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street in a while. I hadn't seen a lot of the Freddies in a while. And I had forgotten this piece of music. Hmm. But the moment that I, I heard it in the movie, I immediately, it all started coming back. Yeah. So it... it while it's not memorable in that it stays with you even when you're not thinking about the movie, um, once you hear it, I feel like you're immediately like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I remember that oh, being that's good stuff. That was the good stuff. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, you also have to do, like, the uh, jump rope uh, one, two, Freddy's coming to for you with the uh, interspersed with the music to get the full the full effect. So when did Freddy jump the shark? Uh... I mean, yeah. Was that Dream Child? No, no, no. Uh, Dream Warrior. Dream Warrior. Okay. Isn't there a song called Dream Warrior? Yes. Uh, Dream. No, I'm sorry, not Dream Warrior. Dream Master. I apologize. Dream Warrior is the third one, and it's my second favorite outside of the original, even more so than New Night. Yeah, it's song. Rockin' with Dawkin' with the Dream Warrior. And you know what? When Freddy has nightmares, he dreams of Dawkin'. Because <laughs> <laughs> he literally, at the end of the video, Freddy wakes up uh, from after dreaming about Dawkin' rockin' uh, Dream Warriors. He goes, oh, what a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, legit. Um, yeah, yeah, the, I can tell you exactly the moment when they have the scene in Dream Master where she dreams she's on the beach and you see the Freddy glove like a shark fin and then he goes on the beach and he puts on sunglasses. That's when you realize, <laughs> oh no, it happened. And if that didn't do it, Freddy dressed up like the Wicked Witch of the West in uh, Freddy's Dead. That basically cemented that he's just a comedy figure at this point. Um, but yeah, Dream Warrior still, he was still creepy. He had the best lines in uh, Dream Warriors with Welcome to Primetime, Bitch, and uh, What a Rush, that kind of stuff. Or I don't believe in fairy tales. Yeah, he had the best one-liners in the third one, and they just got sillier and sillier. What about you, Aaron? Did you have you have did you reach a point where you had enough of Freddy, or do you have uh, did you love him forever? <laughs> <laughs> did you love Freddy a long time? <laughs> I haven't seen as many of them now. I'm actually interested to go back and, and start maybe from the from the most recent going backwards, but. Uh, Oh yeah. man, that remake is so bad. Oh god, I did see is that it? with you. Oh no, the, the remake's horrid. Yeah, that one tries to call into question whether Freddy was a child murderer. Like, he there's this mis- yeah, he was, the, the idea is that he was framed and now he's getting his revenge, and it's like a righteous revenge until at the very sec- last second he reveals, oh no, wait, wait, he did kill those kids, and he was a child <laughs> molester. Never mind. 
He is a monster. How dare you make me sympathize with Freddy Krueger? I know. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I love them all. It's kind of the first film. Uh, actually, I should say second behind Police Academy. The first series of films I latched onto as a kid, and my mom. I mean, she let. Funny thing is, I couldn't watch any like real TNA movies, but she was okay with the horror films, mm. which had TNA, which I always knew which scenes were coming up, and if I knew if my mom was in the room, I'd strategically stop the film. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I remember watching the third one in a motel. Um, Ooh, seedy. Yeah, my, my mom and my sister were sleeping in the other bed. Um, and it was, I was my father's second marriage, because hmm. uh, we were in Reno, and we had to stay in a motel, and I remember watching the third one, and just, because kids in the, on the, in the playground were telling me all about the scene about the kid whose veins get pulled off you know, ripped out and he starts being controlled like a marionette puppet by Freddy and I was like that sounds terrifying and then I finally got to see it and then, but basically that cemented my love uh, for Freddy and then I got around to watching all the other ones and the first one I ever saw in theater sadly was the, the freaking fi- uh, Freddy's Dead hmm. <laughs> Last Nightmare which I saw in 3D With Roseanne Roseanne Johnny Depp yeah. he came back um but, but yeah. I mean, I think Wes Craven saved the the franchise with New Nightmare. Oh, I love New Nightmare, which was a precursor to Scream. It was like almost like a um, test run for him for Scream. It's very meta. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Aaron, I would say uh, skip the remake. Um, you could watch Freddy versus Jason. That's that's just a lot of fun. But a New Nightmare is a pretty good place to start. I think you could go without seeing Dream Child and. Uh, last night, final nightmare, or Freddy's dead, whatever. It depends. If you like the crazy kills or like the very creative kills, I think you'll find something in all of those that are fun. The only reason to watch Dream Master is the when the girl gets turned to a cockroach, which is one of my favorite kills of all time, next to Tina. He reminds me of like a a horror version of Deadpool. Like he's so reverent. He kind of turned into like, that. Yeah. Oh, I always thought of him as a, a horror version of Bugs Bunny. Oh, that's a good one too, yeah. <laughs> In a sense, that's what they yeah. all they all owe their careers to Bugs Bunny. That's true. That's <laughs> true. So while we're still talking about Freddy, let's listen to a piece of music that I remember hearing on the radio every Halloween and being so enamored with it that I, I wanted to just listen to it over and over. You're gonna again. play Dawkins Dream Warriors? <laughs> we saw Elm Street and man it was dead. Everything seemed alright when we left But when I got home and laid down to sleep That began the nightmare But on my street It was burning in my room like an oven My bed soaked with sweat and man I was bugging it had stopped at 12.30 It had melted, it was so darn hot And I was thirsty I went downstairs to grab some juice over a coat Flipped the TV off and then I almost choked When I heard this awful voice coming from behind It said I love that fucking song That's actually like the reason why I still love the Night Run You know what you enjoy? What drink did you make while that song was playing? Uh, old Fashioned That's alright <laughs> Aaron, when's the last time you heard that piece of music? Oh, it's been forever, but I can probably say that's the best piece of music we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of goes without saying. 
Oh, yeah, that was fucking great. Um, like I said, every time I heard it when I was a kid on the radio, I was like, man, was it on the radio a lot? Of all the, st- uh, I mean, yeah, I, of all the stations it was on, it was like, um, what was the, it wasn't even on the hip-hop station uh, when I was living in... Um, probably the top 40 station or whatever. So. No, it was like on the alternative rock station. Or it might have been actually, no 90, I think it was 98 Rock. 98 Rock. Had it on. Because yeah. it was just Halloween. Yeah. You remember as a kid, um, there would be those blocks on MTV during Halloween where it was just like a bunch of Halloween specials? Mm. Yeah. I remember just certain videos getting played at nauseum, like Rock. That's the only time I would ever see the damn Rockwell video. Somebody's watching me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Thriller, they play all year wrong, so it wasn't that special. And But there was also like documentaries that they showed. The making of Thriller. <laughs> making of Thriller, but also just... Like retrospectives about horror movies in general, mm. I miss that. I wanna, I wish I could just like sit down, and like just turn on something and just be like Halloween themed stuff all day long. Guess what? <laughs> what? It's October. You can freaking turn on your TV and find some bullshit like that. No, man. The Halloween is is quickly becoming the pumpkin spice of holidays. I'm you know what? This pumpkin all the basics, spice. all the <laughs> basics are ruining it. The pumpkin spice thing is so fucking played out that I'm actually more annoyed by anti pumpkin spice fucks than actual pumpkin spice. At this I point. agree. I agree. It's gotten to that point, but I I feel like uh, Halloween is quickly becoming um Tim Burton Tim Burton Oh, if that's a word. That used to be a good thing. Um but it's like cutesy now well and halloween is different now because you know the kids don't come to the door as much because they fear what's in the when what's in the bowl right um, or that there might be muslims living inside that house <laughs> <laughs> well i'm just saying like we had it good we had it good i literally would every house had candy back in my day and that's i miss those days <laughs> yeah uh i i used to love the the halloween uh uh, episode of Roseanne that they did every year. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love those. Those are good. Um, and I remember living, when I was young, I lived in a neighborhood where they had, like, an actual, like, someone actually turned their house into a haunted house. Mm-hmm. So when you go to get your candy, you had to go through the house and there would be things inside of there and it was just a ton of fun. Was it worth it? Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, then about the candy, was it? No. Okay. And I love the the instances where there were like corners of the neighborhood that you didn't go down because of the scary house, but you still walked towards it. Because they might have candy. Because they might have candy. And then you'd be like, nah, it's not a good idea. Let's get out of here. <laughs> hey, if there's a light on, that that's all I needed. Just turn your porch light on. <laughs> we're set. I always like they even had the trusting people that like uh, they just left their cat left their candy out front, mm-hmm. right on the porch, and like they trusted you to just take one. But this that song reminds me of uh, uh, Halloween. When a I was simpler, a, kid. a simpler, sillier yeah. time. When I was a kid. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and uh, wrap up this act with that. All right. Unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about, Nightmare on Elm Street. No, it's no? it's it's, so, it's my childhood in a nutshell. Okay, well, it's uh, it's decision time. All right. Cool. The score. Okay. For Friday the Thirteenth, or the score for Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street. We'll start with you this time. Okay, okay? we'll start with me. Um, Since you've already kind of showed your hand. I did totally show my hand. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth certainly memorable, but I think it definitely. Um, 
borrows heavily from the psycho, but it does have its kiki kaka, and that's you know that's that's something. You can't take away its kiki kaka. <laughs> Don't you think kiki mama is more more memorable than even uh, no. Fred, the Elm, Elm Street's theme? No, even though it's good. No. Okay. No. Okay. Because uh, the little the piano in in uh, Nightmare on Street, and this could come from a guy. I've probably seen the Nightmare on Street films like five times more than ever the Friday Thirteenth. So it is more ingrained to me. So yes, this is probably coming from a place of bias, but I feel it's more special, and I think they use the score better throughout the films because we heard the score as a kind of a big hole, but they kind of interject it throughout to add, uh, add to the atmosphere and the mood of the film. Whereas the Friday 13th, all I can remember is the Kiki Kaka. And the Kiki Kaka, like I said, has its time and place, and it's fine, and it's good, but I think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is the uh, the more complete piece, and therefore it's getting my vote. But you know what? I'm just one person. Let's see what Aaron thinks. I think Aaron also showed his hand earlier, quite frankly. So. so um, yeah, maybe, you know, I because I've only seen maybe about two of each of these movies, I'm looking at this from purely like what do I think what do I think took more talent to make um, what's the better soundtrack overall and I'd have to go with Kiki Kaka (laughs) 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 Kiki Kaka is way more recognizable Um, it even has like there's some variety in the soundtrack there's a track called Banjo Mm -hmm. which like Manfred just did it's it's super lighthearted you would never know it's in a horror movie, um, but he he made that. You know, what I mean, yeah. so I I think overall he he did a uh, more well rounded job with the uh, with the Friday Thirteenth soundtrack. You know how you know uh, a piece of music is is iconic beyond the film itself is when people can parody it by just doing like or something like that, and you know what it's from. I, I, That's it. I can't argue. So that. Friday Thirteenth. All right. Well, later, Freddy. Whatever. (laughs) You're both wrong. It's fine. (laughs) But I respect your opinion, and I have no uh, grudge against Friday Thirteenth. It definitely it holds holds its holds its own. Okay, so that's good. Well, that's the end of Act Two. We're gonna take a short break here and uh, recharge your batteries, and uh, we'll be back with uh, Act Three. Fun. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Jeff, listen to me. Don't go 